I'm Tim, and you're listening to the Territories episode of the New Life at Home podcast with Josh and Diane All. Josh and Diane share their story of life in the Northern Territory and what's brought them to the Australian Capital Territory where they've joined us at New Life. Enjoy hearing their story. Josh and Diane, welcome to the podcast. Has this been one of your dreams to come on? Absolutely, Tim. Ever since we heard it was happening. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, how about, uh, Diane, you introduce yeah. who's in your family and when you joined New Life and why? Okay. We have four children, the youngest of which is about two months old and on the floor. So if you hear any funny, cute noises... That's Naomi, our youngest. And then our oldest is another girl, Anna, and she's five. And then we have John, who's three, and Timothy, who's one and a half. So a number of tiny tots in our house. And um, so I guess when we were looking for a church, when we came to Murray Bateman, we first looked in the area, didn't find anything that quite suited, but then heard about um, New Life from a Presbyterian friend of ours. And we went and visited New Life and loved it. We loved the solid theology as well as the fact that there was so many multi-generations and also nationalities represented at New Life. Mm. And we also felt really comfortable with our children there and we didn't feel like they weren't welcome. Well, we love having you guys. So thanks for joining us. Uh, It's been great getting to know you and we're going to get to know you a little bit more Now, uh, Josh, you grew up in the NT. You have a story to tell about uh, your family and uh, your community growing up there. Can you tell us a bit about those things? Yeah, so uh, I moved to the NT when I was about eight. My dad took up a role as a remote area nurse. So he was a a nurse on a little indigenous community 400 kilometres northeast of Alice Springs. And that was uh, a tiny little community of about 40 indigenous people. But dad was responsible for an area of about... 100 kilometres radius. So, big culture shock, we went from the suburbs of Brisbane to the middle of the NT, uh, yeah. and ended up being really the only white family in a community of Indigenous people, so quite a cross-cultural experience. I'm uh, the eldest of eight, so I've got seven younger siblings. So you're the oldest, the responsible eldest. <laughs> I'm the responsible eldest, I like to say the guinea pig as well. And uh, we got to know a lot of Indigenous people uh, on the community, we basically grew up uh, in that Indigenous culture, um, largely, and uh, some fantastic experiences. We got to learn a lot about the, the culture, the language, food. We got to taste all of the native foods, uh, including mm-hmm. a lot of native species. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it was a wonderful experience and really quite quite rich. But it was also quite difficult, suddenly going from the uh, majority to being the minority, really. We were we're the only, mm. only white people in this, this community. So that was, that was also difficult as well. Um, but it was, it was wonderful. All of our friends were local children. So we spent uh, five or six years in the, the centre of Australia on that community. And, mm. uh, yeah. Thanks, Josh. What about you, Diane? How did you come to live in the Northern Territory? And then if you could tell us how you met Josh and what okay. it was about him that drew well, you to him. basically when I was 18... I'd left school, moved out of home for a little bit with some church friends, and then I felt God challenging me to go to Alice Springs. My uncle lived in Alice Springs. I didn't know my uncle very well. 
Um, I was going to do a road trip with a friend of mine whose parents lived and worked in Uluru, like at yep. The Rock as a doctor. And then God ended up reorganizing that, which was terrific, that my dad ended up getting a job in Alice Springs with my uncle. And he bought a caravan and we ended up road tripping together. Um, my parents had just had a divorce not long before. Thankfully, I'd moved out of the house before that happened. So that mm. was kind of nice to not be around for that. But I ended up traveling with him in the caravan all the way. And I received my first job in the care industry the day after I got there because my uncle had lots of connections and they always need carers in Alice Springs. So mm. that's how I got there. And yeah, God really used it. Um, and mm. I guess... Not long after I arrived, I was in the Baptist church. I visited the Baptist church and remember meeting Josh's family. They really yep. stood out because they had eight children, of course. Plenty of them. Yeah. And so the four sisters with the long hair plaited down their backs <laughs> and very well behaved and sitting sounds all like neatly in a row. The way you're describing it sounds like you can visualise oh, it right now. You yeah. know, walking in, you and see the boys there. sitting there well behaved and I looked mm. at that, that family all sitting still in church and thought, oh, I'd like to get to know them. How the heck do they get their children to sit there? And then I got to know Josh's mum and was mentored mm. by her. And so that's how I got to know um, uh, Josh's siblings and family and then mm. ended up getting a bit closer to his older sisters and yeah. we were part of the same peer group. So we'd go hiking with groups of friends and swimming in water holes and doing crazy things like being dragged behind the backs of cars and uh, horse riding and all different weird and wonderful things. Uh, you know, after a few really romantic episodes uh, during those, you know, activities, I started to think, oh, you know, that guy who rescued me off hanging off the side of a cliff, you know, and then asked <laughs> what my weight was just to ascertain whether he could help me down or not, uh, which was a little bit of a Very unromantic. Uh, moment. <laughs> but, you know, after a few of those really romantic things, I thought, oh, what a fine young fellow. And then <laughs> I got to the end of my rope when I was about, oh, I don't know, 25 and said to dad, I'm no good at this stuff. If you ever see a guy who you think is good um you know what I'm looking for dad my dad's not a Christian but he knew what I was looking yeah. for and he said straight away Joshua old I, I thought oh no straight away because I hadn't thought of it really before but then God challenged me to think about it and then yeah. I came right around full circle and became quite infatuated with the <laughs> young men <laughs> and then God got me to let it go and um yeah the rest was history because God That's gave cool. it back when I let it go. So there you go. I think it's amazing to hear <laughs> and, a, and a wonderful blessing to get to know someone in the context of their family. Mm. Yeah. Um, like, yeah, you you can really get a feel for someone and get to know mm. someone as you spend time with their family, in their family. Yep. And, yep. Yeah, so that's... and a young adult group as well we went to. And yep. that was lovely because we could ask whatever questions we wanted and then discuss them from a biblical perspective after having researched in scripture what scripture said about whatever the question was. Mm. And so I got to hear Josh's opinions and thoughts on every possible topic you could imagine. Mm. And so I got to hear it in a non-guarded way as well. Yeah. So he wasn't trying to impress anybody. And I, I started thinking, <laughs> yeah, I could align myself with 
with that guy. I that's really the most, could. That's the most impressive thing when someone's yeah. not trying to yeah. impress. Yeah, yeah. So I saw he was really <laughs> intelligent and well thought out, and I thought, yeah, I reckon I could follow that guy for the should rest we, of my life. Should we keep this going, Josh? Just yeah. a bit like no. <laughs> Um, no, come on. <laughs> uh, so back to you, Josh. Growing up, you've shared a little bit already about how yeah. you got to see a traditional, closely knit Aboriginal community. But what you saw in Alice Springs was a bit different. How was that different? Yeah, well, I should say at the end of the, the five years, instead of moving back to suburbia in Brisbane, the family decided to move to Alice Springs, which for us was the big smoke. It had a McDonald's, so uh, <laughs> it had to be had to be the definition. The big smoke. You know, there was shops, all that sort of stuff. Civilization <laughs> to us was Alice Springs, and there wasn't much outside of that. So anyway, my parents bought up uh, a small bit of acreage, five acres outside the town, and so we moved in there. We moved when I was about fourteen from this indigenous village uh, back to Alice Springs, and uh, so some of the the indigenous people that we then got to meet in Alice Springs, it was quite different. Uh, Alice Springs, obviously, uh, there's not the same traditional uh, family structures because there's a lot of different tribes that all come together in one place. Yep. Rather than being on their own lands, there's the access, easy access to alcohol. There's, you know, mm. the fact that it's not really their home. They're there for other things. So mm. often there's, there's, a lot, there's a lot more dysfunction, it seems, uh, in the town of Alice Springs. Um, mm. But uh, one, some of the ways that that played out was some of the people that I knew, grew up with and were friends. Mm. I might see them in Alice Springs and say hello. And unfortunately, many times it, it, I got hurt because I would say hello at thinking, you know, it'd be nice to just say hi and catch up. But then they walk over and ask me for money. And so these, these, I started feeling like it was, I was a bit used mm. by these same people. A lot of the young people I grew up with... Uh, within three or four years of me leaving were dead or in jail or on drugs so uh, and much of that was when they came out of that sort of more isolated traditional village and came to to a place where it was easy access not the same support structures or family though I should say that the NT since then has become a much smaller place so uh, mm. a lot of those effects are now going into all of those same communities that used to be a bit more traditional but what it did mean was that mm. I, I got to have a bit of a unique perspective on seeing, having really close bonds and connections and seeing the Indigenous culture in a really positive light and then also mm. getting to see the other side of that and some of the, the real struggles and difficulties that are being felt uh, mm. nowadays. Um, but especially in Alice Springs, mm. that's very prevalent. Yep. A lot of it happens on the streets and, and uh, yeah... And Diane, how how did you come to feel and see and experience some of those issues yourself? Um, yeah, I guess I went to Alice with a very romantic kind of notion around, um, yeah, the Aboriginal people. I went guns blazing thinking that I was going to make a big difference and all of that thing for God. And, and I'm sure I did in ways, but... Mm. Um, it was not as I had thought <laughs> it was going to be. And I did a lot of, most of my work was with uh, people who either had mental and physical disabilities or psychological um, behavioural disabilities, especially kind of severe behavioural uh, aggression and things like that. And a lot of ex-drug takers and people who've been abused 
and all of that. So I got to see the worst of everything in Alice. Mm. But God really showed me that people are broken, Mm. but it's not beyond him to touch people. And what I did see was, I guess I was encouraged in a sense by the Lord that the Aboriginal people were just so spiritually aware compared to most other people that I had worked with. And it was them who had a humility that I rarely saw in other people around. So it was them who would ask for prayer. And it was a very common thing to be asked for prayer. It wasn't just... Uh, in inverted commas, Christians, Christian Aboriginal people. The Aboriginal people generally identified as being Christian or Lutheran or Baptist. or They, they often said what kind of uh, denomination they were attached with the mission that had Christianised their kind of area of land uh, in history. Okay. So different, like the Pitjantjara people, they, they had more of the Pentecostal kind of... Uh, churches go to that area but then the Walpuri had the Baptist church go so they'll say I'm a Baptist but they really did identify with Christianity on a really deep level and um, they were always asking for prayer as soon as they knew you were a Christian Hmm. um, they were asking for prayer straight away no matter who they were pretty much Hmm. so yeah it was pretty amazing but very draining and I worked with them for about 10 years mm. in a very kind of close way and got very burnt out. <laughs> and at the end of that, I didn't feel like I could have anything really much more to do with okay. working with um, the yeah the Aboriginal people for quite a while. You and kind I of s- expended the energy you yeah, had for that so, in that space and for... Yeah, know. I'd appreciate prayer because I, I love the Aboriginal people, but I, yeah, I guess I do struggle sometimes around it all and was quite burned in ways just seeing the dysfunctions in the way yeah some programs worked and things that I was mm. part of and everything so it was very frustrating but mm. very rewarding as well and I yeah, learned sure. so much about my own fears as well so mm. it was a very um God used it mm. in a big way yeah. so mm. um, speaking Josh about you know programs mm. and government initiatives as someone who has grown up in a traditional Aboriginal community do you have a perspective on on that and or and why certain things haven't worked? Yeah, I think I mean there's it's there's many layers to it. I think there is no easy solution, which is probably pretty clear in ways, and yet I think that uh, one of the biggest problems is governments want there to be an easy solution that's quick and cheap. Mm. And I think there is none. Um, mm. and so that a lot of the time it's going, it's going to be a really long road. And, I mean, some of the most common problems I've seen, and I, I continued working, well, I began working um, for a local technology company in Alice, and we dealt a lot with Indigenous organisations and with, with all of those sort of things. And so seeing all of that then continued firsthand and, and programs and how they sort of worked, there's many layers to it. Part of it is that there's just often a poor understanding of culture. Uh, and cultural differences and perceptions of things like um, time and money and all those sort of things. So when programs are ill-conceived, they're never going to succeed. Um, also, just simply pouring money into things never works. Mm. But uh, I think also that, and I probably won't elaborate too much on this, but mm. uh, that I think governments are afraid to take hard steps 
that are unpopular but may be necessary. Mm. And uh, so there's, there's many aspects to that, but I think that whenever there's such difficult and complex problems, often there's really difficult solutions that no one really wants to face mm. um, because they're going to cause uh, disruption and hurt to many people. Uh, yeah, I think it's just a, a multifaceted problem, uh, which mm. uh, good intentions alone won't solve. I mean, ultimately, as Christians, we, we can say uh, Christ is the answer, and, and, and largely that's true, but even when people come to Christ, there's still an element where they need discipleship, and there's still the practical and physical elements of that. Mm. So um, I think prayer yeah. is absolutely necessary from, from Christians for all Indigenous people in Australia and, yeah. and that. Uh, but I also think a real real understanding of the solution and willing to make some hard changes is also necessary. Mm. Sorry, it probably doesn't give an exact answer, no. but that's some of the dysfunctions and some of the some of the observations. Mm. Thanks for sharing those observations and yeah, as someone who has experienced a lot and seen a lot. Yeah, yeah thank thanks for that. Uh, let's change gears now uh, from the Northern Territory to the Australian Capital Territory. Diane, why have you chosen as a family to move from the Northern Territory to the ACT? Uh, well, I think when we first got married uh, in 2014, uh, we saw advertised um, some of the programs that Lachlan Macquarie Institute ran and I immediately thought, wow, that sounds like Josh, you know, just really... <laughs> grappling with culture and uh, leadership issues and just theology and, and really wrangling with a lot of very hard material. And I thought, oh, Josh would just love that. And so a door opened and God just made it all work. We ended up booking Josh in to come to the course. And so he ended up attending the long course, which was a three, four month course, just um not long after the birth of our second child. And I think that was 2018, was it? 17. 2017. And so after that, we merrily came home um, and settled into normal life. And yeah, Josh received a job offer. <laughs> he was waiting to see what God would do after taking that time off, after finishing at his workplace, mm. doing the course. And uh, he'd gotten a number of job offers, probably five in a very short period of time, but none of them sat well with us and we didn't ha quite have a piece about any of them. And so when we heard about this, we prayed about it and yeah, God just made it really clear that we should come here and work here, which was a bit ironic because we'd been um, at the property as a family not long before thinking, oh, you know, this place needs a bit of you know, help and with different things. And so it was kind of like we were eating our words when God sent us here. We're like, ah, yes, but we do get to help with those things. And it's yeah. been rather hard work, but it's been good and very rewarding. And so we mm. believe in what they teach. Yeah. Um, yep. And yeah. Hmm. yeah. So what do you see your role as, Josh, at the Lachlan Macquarie Institute? Um, yeah, so I mean, I guess my, my job title here is uh, general manager at the moment. No, there's not that many staff here, so it's it's sort of do everything kind of kind of role. Yeah. Uh, but basically, jack of all trades, master of none. Pretty much. Yeah. That that's pretty much sums it up. <laughs> sums it up. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess, I more broadly than just my role, LMI, we're really interested in training wise leaders, and mm. uh, so we we think that there's you know a couple of parts to to leadership, and one is wisdom, but 
the other is character. Yeah. That uh, if you have if you have wisdom without character, then you end up being actually quite foolish. Um, you actually need character to apply wisdom, and so. Mm. And also, we believe wisdom is foremost a gift of the Holy Spirit and God, but that people can still uh, learn things which can help develop wisdom in them. Um, mm. So here we don't really claim to make wise people, but more take wise people and help them apply and, and hopefully become mm. a bit bit more understanding and better apply wisdom a bit better. So mm. and learn from history. Yeah. So we, yeah. we so people come and live in for three months as a group, and they yeah basically have to learn and work together. They go through things like theology, history, yep. philosophy. Mm. Um, and does that is the one of the aims to equip them to be able to engage in the world as leaders, where there might be a different worldview, might be might exactly. come up against, rub up against people they disagree with, and have to work out what the wise course of action is in those situations, those kind of things. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's 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 certainly it, but also. Applied wisdom is, you know, what what happens when you're in business and you have to make economic decisions? Mm. What basis are you making those decisions on money about? How do you even think about money? How do you think about power? How do you think about all of these things when you're in a position of leadership? Yeah, there's, okay. there's actually a lot of things that require a lot more wisdom. Sometimes there's a lot of grey mm. in the world. So there's there's pragmatic decisions you need to make in all kinds of areas. Yeah, absolutely. But mm. making sure you've got the right foundation. Absolutely. And yeah. To, to stand on and to, to know what you think the right decision is in each yeah, situation. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, what about you, Diane? Your role at LMI, uh, the kind of hospitality that you're involved yeah. in? I, when we first came, I was much more heavily involved in ways like getting involved in catering events and things like that. But since we've had more children, so we, when we first came here, we started with two children, You're and now we've got four. Yet. You're not up to eight. Yet. <laughs> not up to yeah, eight. Not yet. Yet. <laughs> <laughs> we don't know if that's the Lord's will for us, but we'll wait and see. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, having four children now, I get less involved in the catering side of things. Thankfully, my my duty in that respect, because um, that's stressful, catering events. Um, I'm doing less of that now and now we do just only like opening our home and like just hospitality stuff from home, which is a lot less mm. stressful and it's kind of works well because then people come to us rather yeah. than us having to drag the children to them and we live on the same property. So we kind of try to foster community, Christian mm. community through opening our home for debate nights and, you know, board game nights and mm. Fun things. Inviting and people into your family life. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And like doing family that, devotions yeah. and um, when the students are here, inviting them to... We have like ready-made birthday parties for the children because we just like... <laughs> rent, rent a crowd. Guys, come over. So, yeah. lots of fun. Yeah. Well, thanks so much, Josh and Diane, for joining the podcast for this week. I really enjoyed just hearing your story and hearing your compassion, such a strong um, compassion for people and that, that was reflected and you, know, you were talking about character and stuff and that really comes through to me, your character. Yeah, so thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of New Life at Home with Josh and Diane Auld. Next week, I'll be chatting with Dave Whitelaw on the podcast on the topic of family discipleship. Dave will share 
his story growing up and how his parents have shaped his Christian faith.